Let's open our Bibles tonight for the teaching, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So glad you're here, and we want our church to be a church centered in the very Word of God. We're moving through this book of Corinthians. I encourage you to read it over and over again. The more I read this book, the more I realize what a relevant book it is to our modern American church. It, 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 hits, it hits on so many of the things of the tensions that we're dealing with today. How I many know oh, the Lord has the answer? And it's right here in the Word of God. And so we, this is our 16th message in this. And I, I thought about the British pastor, Lloyd-Jones, who preached, I think either, I can't remember the exact quote, six or eight years out of Romans. I don't know how you could spend six or eight years in Romans, but he was a brilliant man and a medical doctor trained, a theologian trained. But uh, I'm actually not taking small little portions. I'm taking large portions. We've already preached. This will be the 16th message, and we're just to chapter 7. But we're learning. We've titled this series, The Corinthian Crisis. Say, why did you title the series that? Because there's a crisis going on in this church. This church is a church in a city called Corinth. It would kind of, for no better illustration, it would kind of be the New York City of the day, like that, or the Las Vegas of the day, or the L.A. of the day, you know, the London of the day. It's one of a large city, and it was a very uh, city full of philosophy, false philosophies, a city full of uh, immorality. In fact, it was an insult when you called somebody a Corinthian. That would have been an insult in that day. But yet, the go- listen, the gospel works, doesn't it? Paul told, said at one place, the gospel is not bound. The gospel is light. It's one of the metaphors used. The gospel is light, and when the light shines in the darkness... Guess what? The lights can come on to whosoever believes the gospel. And so Paul went here, and there was a group of people who started a church here. And they were gathering together, just like we're gathering tonight. And, but yet, as they started going along, things started going sideways. And so Paul writes to deal with so many issues. And tonight, we're gonna, he's going to deal with an issue. We're going to let the Lord speak to us out of the Word of God. This is a subject that is a concern to every one of us, and it's the subject of marriage. And so we're going to look at it tonight. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1. Now concerning the things of which I wrote, which you wrote to me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And he means in 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 a sexual way. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife. And let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to the wife the affection due her. And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over his own body. But the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For For I wish that all men were even as I myself, but each one has his own is his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say, but I say to the unmarried 
and to widows. It is good for them if they remain even as I am. That means single. Look at this. Verse 9. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Verse 10. Now, to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. So, you know, look at me. Sometimes Paul will say, uh, I, I, but not the Lord. Or maybe I'm getting it. But, but what he's saying there is, we don't have a specific command on that certain thing. But with me as the apostle, knowing the word of God, this would be my judgment on that. And he would often say, I believe I'm right in this. But here he says, not I, but the Lord. Meaning that, that what he's saying now is going to correspond with the exact words of Jesus and his teaching. So let's look at it again. Verse 10. Not, not, uh, now to the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord. A wife is not. Everyone say not. Not to divorce or not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not. Everybody say not. Not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord. There he is. He switches it, doesn't he? I say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him in a married state, let him not divorce her. And the woman who has a husband that does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified. Look at that. Sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. That is the believing husband. Let me tell you, when if, you, if someone is married to someone who's an unbeliever, you have the light of Jesus in you. And that light is going to make a difference. And I believe that many times we have this teaching of Scripture. They can bring them to a saving knowledge of the Lord. And so otherwise, your children will be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how, for how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? And everyone said amen, amen. to that. All right. The message tonight title in the series is Marriage in the Kingdom of God. All right. Marriage in the kingdom of God. Our gospel. Everybody say our gospel. Which is the word of God. Our gospel, hear this, is not an ethereal, shadowy, secret coded kind of message that keeps our minds, you know, in kind of a heavenly transcendent state. But our gospel is a practical guide to everyday living, as well as a reliable guide to eternity to come. Amen? Amen. It'll point us right to the throne of God through our Lord Jesus. So, so what I'm saying is this. The gospel, our gospel, doesn't make us so heavenly minded, so-called, that we're no earthly good. While it does prepare us for heaven, amen, amen. it also gives us the power to live the spirit-filled life now, right now, and, and tonight, particular spirit-filled marriages. In fact, in the eyes of God, the only legitimate life is one lived 
under his lordship, by his word, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So the gospel life, I could say it this way, the gospel marriage is the best kind of marriage. It's the marriage that God intended. It's the life that God intended. So what Paul is addressing here in this entire chapter, he's addressing marriage. Marriage is a, such an important subject for the church. And I'm glad that we've come to this. What had happened here is if you look at verse 1, he talks about the questions, the things that they wrote to him. Apparently, they had written some questions that they had. I mean, think about it. These believers, they didn't have what we have here. They wrote about relationships. What do we do with these relationships? They did not have what we have. They did not have a copy of the Word of God. And so therefore, they wrote the anointed apostle and said, what about marriage? What about if I'm married to a, a lost person? I, I just got saved. What do, I, do, I, do I divorce this lost person, this unbeliever? What do I do? How do we relate in marriage? What, what is that all about? And Paul writes this absolutely incredible chapter. Now, let me say this. This is not all the Bible has to say on marriage. You have to look at Matthew and Luke and look at all of that. We're certainly not going to have time to get into all that this evening. But what we have is we have a guidebook this evening. A guidebook that is reliable, that tells us to have marriage at its best. I feel like I'm qualified to teach on this subject. The lady to my left over here, I've been married for over 30 years. What is it, 33? It will be. 33. Hallelujah. We got past seven. Now we're in the millennial reign. So... I feel like I'm qualified, and even if I'd never been married and I was single like Paul, I'm qualified because I preach out of this book right here. Come on, preach now. So we have the Word of God, the privilege of the guidebook, and this guidebook is a reliable source on this issue in the mind of the Lord with marriage. Paul discusses three things here in this chapter. We'll get to two. First of all, in this chapter, Paul deals with marriage from three angles. Number one, verses 1 through 11, Christians married to other Christians. And then in verses 20, 12 through 24, he deals with Christians married to non-Christians. And then he deals with, verse 25 through 40, unmarried Christians. We're just going to get to the first two. So here they are. Paul, first of all, verses 1 through 11, we're going to tool through this. Paul teaches about Christians who are married to Christians. Now, let me stop and give my testimony. I'm privileged, and I kids, but I'm privileged to be married to a wonderful person. We have been, we dated for three years. We were, I met her when she was 15, and our dating, I tell people our dating was in Jesus. You know, we, we dated, our dating was basically going to church. That's what we did. We went to the prayer meeting before Sunday night service. We go to Sunday morning service. We go to the youth group service. We go out with the youth group. That was basically our whole life. You said, well, didn't you take her out? Yeah, sometimes we'd go out, but it was pretty, you know, as far as the world goes, it would have been very boring. We did go out. Sometimes we go up to Wichita Falls to like a movie or usually not a movie, very few movies. Just go out and walk in the mall there and we drive home. Well, she, this, my wife and this young lady here, my daughter on the front row, are pretty much just alike because they can fall asleep at any time. Almost. Not anymore with my wife. But, so we'd be driving home from Wichita Falls. And every time, every time we'd be driving along, I'd be talking there. Next thing I know, she's out. 
And then, so we would go to her house, and she would go to bed, and I would stay up with her mom and dad for sometimes hours with her mom and dad, and I just love them so much. They became like a mom and dad to me. I mean, you know, when you marry, you marry the whole family. Get to know the mom and dad, and oh, I would give almost everything I own, or I would give everything I own, if I could have my mother and father-in-law sitting here tonight, because they would be so proud of these granddaughters and they would be so proud. They were, they were the greatest encouragers to us in the ministry. They were our greatest support in prayer. And, but I'm grateful that I married a Christian woman. And that's all we've ever known is Jesus. All we've ever known is prayer. All we've ever known is the Word of God. All we've ever known in our home is to trust God. We don't have any sordid stories. We have been faithful to each other. And I can tell you, faithfulness pays great dividends. And so here, Paul, in verses 1 through 11, he teaches about Christians who are married to Christians. Here's the first thought I want to give you. It's all right not to marry, verse 1. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. What does he mean by that? Paul was single, and in his singleness, listen to me, he was greatly used by God. The greatest Christian to ever live that I've read about, I've not read about all of them, but oh, what a great man of God that he was. There's another, there's many great celibate people that are godly people. There's a, there's a man that I have most, I have all of his commentaries. His name is John Stott, S-T-O-T-T. He was an Anglican pastor, pastored a church for years and years and years in London, England, a great scholar, a holy godly man. He was, a, he was single, he was celibate his entire life, never man, never uh, married. He committed his entire life to the pastorate and, and his books are fantastic. Uh, but here's what he said about his singleness. He said, the gift of singleness is more a vocation than an endowment. Although, to be sure, God is faithful in supporting those he calls. It's all right not to marry. My precious secretary, Brenda Roberts, who was my secretary for 10 years, never married. She was such an effective servant of God. I mean, she was really... Un- uncumbered by a husband. She never felt like she wanted to marry. She never felt like that was the will of God. She was such a blessing to me, such a mighty woman of God. And I, I miss her greatly. We miss her. Our church family misses her. She passed away. And when I got that call, just let me have a little aside here, reminisce a little bit. When uh, about four o'clock, she was in my office and we were talking. She was about to go to an estate sale to help out. And she was in my office, we were finishing for the day, and something we said or she said, the last memory I have of Sister Brenda, she was absolutely laughing our heads off in my office. She was laughing in that, that infectious laugh. And then an hour and a half later, someone called me and said, Pastor, Brenda has collapsed. And they've taken her to hospital. Brenda was celibate. She never married. She loved Jesus with all of her heart. It's all right not to marry. Listen, listen, verse 1, Kenneth Weiss was a Greek scholar. Kenneth Weiss, here's how he translates. He, he translated his own Bible from the Greek. Here's what he writes in his commentary or in his translation of this verse. It says this, Now, with reference to the things concerning which you wrote, it is perfectly proper, honorable, and morally befitting for a man to live in strict celibacy. So he got the meaning of the text. It's all right not to marry. The gift of celibacy is a gift from the Lord. It's not a curse. And if a person has that gift, 
They can totally serve God, totally focus on God. And that was Paul's whole life. Paul was celibate. He was single. It's good to, if you have that gift, it's good to be single. Why? Because Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so it's all right not to, to marry. And so what was happening, Paul had been warning these Christians. And so what we see here is this. I think very few people, percentage-wise in the church, have the gift of celibacy. It's better to marry than to burn, Paul said. In other words, it's better to marry than to burn with lust and to get an immorality. Because Paul, in the chapter we just came out of, Paul had warned them about the dangers of Christians falling into sexual immorality. Paul said in Ephesians, that should not even, we, there should be such a holiness among us that should not even be mentioned among the church. Out there, yes. Inside the church, among pastors, among church members, absolutely not. Not even mentioned because we're so striving to live holy before God and honorable before our God. And, and here is the Corinthians living in the midst of an unholy city, a very unholy city, but yet they were to be living holy lives. In fact, he starts out the book, and I'll just read it to you, 1 Corinthians 1-2, the church of God, which is in which is at Corinth to those who are sanctified. That means made holy. Those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That's separate ones, holy ones. To the, uh, and uh, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Isn't it interesting in this very ungodly city, he starts out in verse 2 and said, you Corinthians who are sanctified. And so that's what Paul says there. So it's it's, uh, think about what I just said. It's all right not to marry. But look at this next little thought. Let's get into this. It's also all right to marry, and most will. It's also all right to marry. I think it's a great thing. He that finds a wife finds a great thing and a good thing. So here's the principles. Look at verse 2. We've got to go quick. I'm just going to give you these and then kind of reference the verse. Here's the principles of marriage. First of all, polygamy forbidden. You hear that? Polygamy forbidden. Look at verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual morality, let each man have his own wife. And let each wife have her own husband. That would forbid polygamy. You say, well, what's that? Polygamy. That's having more than one wife. Uh, why would you want more than one wife? Now, I love my wife, but I don't want two. Come on, shout amen. And she's saying the same thing. Polygamy forbidden. This would also, verse 2, would also forbid homosexual and lesbian relationships. Absolutely forbidden. Look at the text again. Here it is. Nevertheless, uh, because of sexual morality, let each man, say man, have his own wife. Everybody say wife. So, so homosexuality and lesbian relationships, absolutely forbidden. A man and a woman constitutes a marriage it's the only legitimate kind of relationship that God in heaven will recognize. Whatever the state does, the state does. God's not recognizing that. The state is not the authority. The word of God is the authority. Isn't it interesting? Now, I'm not going to get on a little soapbox here. But isn't it interesting? For over 5,000 years, over 5,000 years, I didn't say in the last decade, Marriage has been between a man and a woman over 5,000 years. And now we've got some very strange people leading the march. It's, it's everything, and it's, it's not. 
This verse says, no, homosexual, lesbian relationships, absolutely forbidden. It's, it's a man and a woman married for life. For life. And we'll touch on that in a minute. Here, here's also what we see here is that sexual relationships with someone other than your wife or husband is also strictly forbidden. Look at verse 3. It says, let the husband render to his wife the, do, uh, the, the affection due her. Uh, it, it says, uh, and likewise also the, husband, the wife to her husband. I love, I love how the word of God is delicate with these issues. And even the Song of Solomon, I won't get into it, but even the Song of Solomon is very delicate with these issues. It's not explicit. Anytime I hear a minister get explicit, he's crossed the line. I'm telling you, he's crossed the line. We understand these things. God deals with these things in an honorable way, in a holy way, in a dignified way. Isn't it beautiful how the Word of God deals with these in a holy way? And so I just would say that, that we don't have to be explicit in these things because these things are honorable before our Lord, our God. And so notice this in Hebrews, just to touch on this, that these rela- this relationship is very important and the Lord says some very strong things here. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 5. Let your, let your, I'm sorry, verse 4, verse 4, 13, 4 uh, Hebrews. Marriage is honorable among all, okay? And the bed undefiled. That means the sexual relationship within the marriage bed is undefiled. It's holy before God. But look at this. But, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Serious matter. Amen? So so let me touch on this, and then we'll move along. Sex is to be expressed within the marriage relationship only. So so Paul indicates that that sexual desire is normal desire. God created that. but, But only in marriage. That's only in marriage. That's only where it's supposed to be fulfilled. He teaches strongly against sexual immorality. In fact, in the chapter before, he's warned us here in chapter 6, verse number 10, or verse 9 and 10, he talks about those who are going to be excluded from the kingdom of God. Let me just tell you this. Let me, let me just give you a, a, a wake-up call here. We need some Christians to be woken up. There are Christians that have been taught a false gospel. They've been taught a gospel that if I just confess Jesus and I, and I just you know, say the right things, but yet go ahead and live in this kind of lifestyle that because you know, I've got my insurance policy, all that doesn't matter. That is totally against the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. So Paul warns, and he said, those things right there in chapter 6 will exclude someone. Hear this. Even if they've once believed upon Christ, if they turn their back on God and His commands, they will once again sever their relationship with Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. They can go back into a lost state. You don't lose your salvation. You leave your salvation. Are you hearing me? You don't lose it like you lose your insurance policy. The only, listen, I, I say this and people, I want you to get it. I do not have salvation. You do not have salvation. Jesus has salvation. I don't possess salvation like I, you know, got a, a, a wallet in my pocket. Salvation, Christ is the Savior. The way I get salvation is I am connected to Him through the Holy Spirit. I am born again. Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. If you don't abide in me, you're cut off from the vine and you, you're, you're thrown in the fire and burned. Thank God that we, are, we have a loving union with our wonderful Savior. And as we abide in Him, 
We have his life. Thank God for the life. So we need to be warned about that. Here's what else Paul says in, about the marriage. Verse 5. Verse 5 says this. Do not deprive one another except for the consent for a time. You know, so what, don't use sex to punish or control. Is that a good principle? I know not everybody's married here, but this is good stuff. Okay, don't use that to punish or control. The only reason for, to abstain for any long period of time is for spiritual reasons, not carnal reasons. We're spiritual people. Paul talks about for a season of fasting, for a season of prayer. So think about what I'm telling you and what Paul's saying. It's all right not to marry. Come on, say amen. amen. Secondly, it's all right to marry, and most will. And most will. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Third thing I want you to see is that Christians are not to divorce. Look at verse 10 and 11 again. Look what it says. Now to the married, I command, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Now hear this, command from the Lord, the Lord, the Savior, the creator of the world. Come on, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who holds all things up by the word of his power, the one who spoke and created millions upon millions upon millions of angels, mighty angels. The Lord said, a Christian man is not to divorce his wife, and a Christian wife is not to divorce her husband. The highest authority in the universe has commanded his church. And I'm going to tell you, there is a, not an epidemic, there is a pandemic of Christian people who say they're saved that divorce on a whim. It is a serious matter in the sight of God, and we need a wake-up call. Here, look at what God says. God hates divorce. Malachi chapter 2. And this, the Lord's saying, and this is the second thing that you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying. I mean, here they are, putting on a religious show. So he does not regard the offering anymore, nor receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say... For what reason? In other words, God's saying, I'm not receiving your offerings, priest. These are the preachers. These are the priests. These were the, these were the, these were the, the Lord here is speaking to those in Israel who were supposed to be an example to the congregation, to an example to Israel. They were supposed to be an example in the teaching and also the life. And yet here they are. And now, and the Lord says this, I'm paraphrasing. The Lord said, listen, you come to the altar, you're weeping at the altar, you're giving the offerings, but I don't accept it. And now you're asking, why don't you accept it? Now they're asking the priest, why don't you accept it? And now he tells them, verse, verse um, 14 again, yet you say, for what reason? And then it says, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth. Hear this? With whom you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. But did he not make them one? Now, now, let me just say this. These next few verses are probably some of the hardest in the Old Testament. There are so many different views on what the Lord... I mean, we get the gist of what the Lord's saying because we know what's said before and after. There is so much scholarship here. If I had the time, I, I was going to post one of my commentaries... And, and, but I don't have time and give you some deeper thought here. But listen to what he says. But, but he did not, but he, 
But he, but did he not make them one, having a, a remnant of the Spirit? Why one, he says. He seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Say that with me, that he hates divorce. Say it again, that he hates divorce. He hates it. He doesn't hate the person, doesn't hate it, but he hates what it does. What it does to the church, what it does to the marriage, what it does to the children, what it does to the witness of Christ. This is an issue that has probably done as much damage as anything to the American church. The world looks in, and we have a message of Jesus saves. And they've got to be saying in many cases, well, he didn't save you. Didn't save that part of your life. It's a serious thing that he hates divorce. Notice this, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. The, the, another translation that I don't really care for, so I won't even tell you what translation it is. But he does say this, I hate divorce, says God, the God of Israel. The, the God of the angel army says, I hate, I hate the violent dismemberment of the one flesh of marriage. That does get the. I hate the violent dismemberment of the one flesh of marriage. Now, notice this. Commentator MacArthur said this The Lord emphasizes what he has been saying by his emphatic declaration. In fact, God sees the unwarranted divorce as a gross act of sin, which, like blood spattered from a murder victim on a killer, leaves evidence. Of an evil deed. Wow. If you, if you murdered someone. And their blood spattered on you. God's given that kind of picture here. Divorce is so violent. He said the evidence is afterwards. The evidence of the violence. I don't know about you. I look at that and say wow. Marriage is a serious thing. You know. In, in Matthew, when Jesus was talking about marriage and one man, one woman, four life, the disciples said to him, well, if that's the way it is, it'd be better not to marry. And I think what Jesus was saying is, right, right, it would be better not to marry because from the beginning, it is to death to its part for life. And so it's a serious matter here. So what are we getting at? Verse 10, no divorce for Christians. The, this one violation of this command has done untold damage to the American church and our witness to the world about Jesus Christ and his love. I've, I've uh, quickly, first wedding I ever performed, ended in divorce. As a young pastor, it affected me greatly. I told them everything you could tell them. I told them everything the Word of God says. We talked about communication. We talked about forgiveness. We talked about every issue that you can imagine in it in divorce. I did another uh, wedding one time in May. Told them everything. Everything. They were divorced by October. It's incredible to me. Recently, two, two divorce cases in the last few years here that I'm aware of. One is, uh, and, and I'll kind of quote here, we just grew apart. No adultery. We just grew apart. Millennials. Another one said, well, uh, I got married before I really thought it through. 
Once again, not, not the only ones that get divorced, young millennials. So very, very sad. It's sad how selfish we have become. It's sad how selfish the Christian community has become. Here's, here's what the scripture says, verse 11. If, believers, if a believer does separate, they are to remain unmarried or return to their husband. Do you see that? If you divorce, you got to remain single. If you're going to please Christ, if you're going to be right with God, and we're talking about these are issues where there's no adultery. No adultery here. And these, what Paul's talking about is an issue. There's no adultery. There's no exclusive clause that Jesus gave. We're talking about two people divorce. They're Christians. They have to remain unmarried if they're going to please or reconcile the marriage. I think God wants marriages to stay together, don't you? Serious man. I know that's not how it works in a perfect world, but that's the way the Lord wants it. There is, you know, this situation in verse 11 is to me, I see it as it's, it doesn't involve any kind of sexual morality. But Jesus did give an exception, exception clause for divorce. Look at it. It's Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, 32. Um, it says, here, let me read out of this one. Matthew chapter 5, verse 30, 31, 32. These are the words of Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Okay, here we go. 31, 32. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say, this is Jesus talking, highest authority in the world, in the universe. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Now, this is the only place the exception clause is found. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think it's found in any other of the Gospels. Only here in Matthew. I've read some scholarship on why it's here, and it may be different than we think. But that's a whole other study. But notice the exception clause. Notice how narrow it is. I think what Jesus is saying here, listen to me, there are two things that break a marriage. And they're both a physical act. Because primarily, marriage is a physical act. One is death. Death breaks the marriage. The other is the act of adultery. It breaks the marriage. Both a physical act. So, and that doesn't mean in the, in the immorality part. I've seen marriages. In fact, I, I know of a marriage that went through one of those situations and God stepped in in his mercy and grace. There was forgiveness. They went to Christ and that marriage lasted for probably 50 years. Thank God for his mercy. So it doesn't always have to end even if there's adultery, if there's forgiveness, if the person can find it in their heart. So, all right. Oh, I've only got to the first part, didn't I? Christians married to Christians. And I, I, I do want to get to this. What about a Christian married to a non-Christian? If a believer is married to an unbeliever, they're not to divorce them. We've read that. If a believer leaves, the Christian's not under bondage. Verse 15. I think what that means is that if a Christian, if, if, if that unbeliever leaves and that believer's done everything they can, that person is not under bondage, but they are free to remarry, but only to a believer. 
because we're not to be unequally yoked together. But see, but here's, here's the thing. By godly living before an unbelieving spouse, you may bring them to the Savior. You believe that? I do believe that. Look at, look at, uh, look at the teaching here. Chapter 7, verse 16, and we'll land this. It says, For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Here's what I would say. Here's what I would say to an un, let's say an unsaved, uh, a saved wife that has an unsaved husband. Here's what I would say: Win him, save him without words. Save him without words. Here's what the scripture says: Wives, this is Peter's writing. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even that even if some do not obey the word. They, without a word, may be won, hallelujah, by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Don't divorce someone just because they're lost. See, what happened is these Corinthians got saved, and their mates didn't get saved with them. And they were like, okay, now that I'm in this new kingdom of God, do I totally get rid of them? And then then from basically from verse, I'll give you this in a nutshell, just as, as a word, and I want you to read it later on this evening. Verses 17 through 24, what Paul is dealing with, he's dealing with telling how to believe the believers, and, and he, he kind of digresses a little bit, but what he's telling them, they're asking, do I, do I divorce my unsaved mate? And Paul says, no, live for God where you are. Verses 17 through 24, live for God there. If, if, if you're saved and they're lost, Live for God there. And he even talks about some other things here. Wherever you were saved, in whatever state in life you're in, live for God right there. And what I thought about is this. The Christian life can be lived out anywhere. God can give you grace to live for God where you are. God will give us grace to be effective witnesses for him right now. And the Lord expects us to do that. 17 through 24, some great, great Wonderful words. Christians married to Christians. Christians married to non-Christians. That's what this text teaches. It's such an important issue. I want you to stand and I want us to pray. Because this is is marriage in the kingdom of God. This This is the teaching of Christ. This is the teaching of our Lord. And and I can tell you this, if if we have strong marriages in the church. We're going to have a strong church. But if, we're going to have, if we have broken marriages in the church, the church will not be strong. It'll be very weak. And let me tell you what else is going to be weak. Prayer will be weak in the church. The better marriages are, the more powerful prayer is. Do you realize that a bad marriage can hinder a prayer life? That's what Peter said. Peter said, you know, if, you're, if your marriage relationship is in conflict, it will hinder your prayers. So marriage... It's such an important part of our society today, and it's under attack. So I, I think our prayer tonight as we conclude is this. Lord, keep our marriages strong. And those marriages that are in trouble right now, let, let those couples repent. Let them get on their knees. Let them get back together again. Let them be reconciled. God's a reconciling God. And I want to pray for relationships. And, I, and, and I'm glad that my daughter is here, my youngest daughter, my other three daughters are married, and you that are 
you that are here and maybe experienced some bad relationships, okay, do what's right now. Amen? You can't go back to the past, but you can get right now and you can say, from the rest of my life, I'm going to live for Jesus and I'm going to do those things because he can put it back together again. Amen? He can take the broken pieces out of the ashes and he can build something wonderful and, and beautiful if we'll obey him. I tell you what, there's a blessing in the path of obedience. There is a blessing for you. And so let's pray. Father, how grateful we are for the clear teaching of Scripture. We know these have been strong, strong words tonight. But Lord, they've been good words. It's like strong meat that gives us nourishments and vitamins in our physical body. So it does in, the, in our hearts, in our spirit. And so Lord, we, we pray that Christians that are married to Christians would be strong. And that, and that the husband, love your wife. Love your wife. With that supernatural love from God, the Gopi love, the Holy Spirit love. And Lord, not the, not the love of chance, but the love of choice. We choose to love our wives. And, and wives, let the wives respect their husband and show respect and show honor and show love and servant and service. And as they submit to one another, Lord, let the marriage be strong in our church. And so we pray for those Christians that are married to Christians. We also, Lord, pray for Christians that are married to non-Christians. And Lord, I pray that through that Christian, through that believing spouse, Lord, that, 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 that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that the light of Jesus would shine through, that the love and the kindness would be there. And Lord, that light would shine in and light would bring that unsaved spouse to the foot of Calvary. And Lord, we thank you. And, and Lord, I close with this. I ask you, Father, to bless those that are single. Singleness is a blessing. You said it here. It's a blessing that we can serve you wholeheartedly. So Lord, help us to live for you where we are. Wherever you saved us, help us to be what you want us to be and be effective witnesses. We thank you for this service tonight. We thank you for your blessing on Trinity Life Church. We long to be here Sunday morning in the great and mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just pray a blessing on each one tonight. Church, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless each of you. If you have any tithes or offering, Brother Jimmy will receive those in the back. And we say God bless you. Be safe as you travel home.